Welcome to The Creative Shift. My name is Dan Blank, author of the book Be the Gateway and founder of WeGrowMedia.com. Today, I want to take you on a journey through a six-step guide to publishing a best-selling book. And I want to be really clear about each of these six steps. Now, to guide us here is a model that I want to use, which is really one of my all-time favorite stories of creative success. And I'm asking you to bear with me here, but I want to use the story of the Meatloaf 1977 album, Bad Out of Hell, as a guide. So why do I want to do this? Really because it's, again, my all-time favorite story of a creator who persisted through rejection in order to find massive success on their own terms. If you're not familiar, um, Meatloaf is a performer who in 1977 had this unbelievably popular album. Um, it's like a rock opera kind of album. We'll talk a little bit about it. You don't really need to know anything about uh, him or the group. We'll tell you what you need to know. You might be thinking, is a 1970s rock album the perfect guide for how to create a best-selling book? You know, maybe, maybe not. But I feel that there are important lessons here that absolutely apply to the journey that authors take in creating and in publishing and sharing their books. And I do think it's worth noting I'm not really particularly a fan of this album or artist. I have respect for them and I can appreciate their music, but I have never knowingly played their music on purpose. I'm sharing this story because I think it holds really deep truths about creative success. Okay, tip number one, or step number one, totally commit to your idea. The album itself was a concept put together largely by writer and composer Jim Steinman. Meatloaf was the singer, and then Todd Rundgren stepped in as producer. The idea that came to Steinman was really big and really bold. He has a theater background. And it didn't fit in with the market. It would be pretty expensive to create, and it was just different. But Jim, Meat, and Todd all believed in it completely, and they spent years making it become a reality, even when the rest of the world ignored them, and at times the rest of the world laughed at them. I'm noting this here because they weren't chasing trends. Uh, They didn't envision how this album and these songs would so easily fit into what everyone else is already talking about. And they were reminded again and again that they should abandon this work, abandon this whole idea, because it doesn't fit in. That's what people kept telling them. So when you choose the book that you want to write, I want to encourage you to commit to it completely. What you are capable of creating is unique to who you are. And believing in that is a gift to yourself and to the world, potentially. All right, step number two is to collaborate. I've always found that the most certain path to failure is to try to do every single thing on your own. Now, if we're talking about authoring a book, I totally understand that, by and large, writing a book is usually a solitary endeavor until you get to the editing phase. You have to create in the manner that feels right to you. But I do feel that collaborators are pretty critical when it comes to finishing your work, getting it published, and getting it shared. 
that when you collaborate with other people, so many doors open. So in the case of this album, Jim Steinman found his muse when he discovered Meatloaf. This is the person who can deliver these songs in the appropriate manner. They also found unwavering support, financial support, musical support, all kinds of other support from Todd Rundgren, who basically bankrolled the whole idea. What I'm encouraging for you is to have colleagues. These could be other people who create work similar to yours, just anyone that you can talk to about the process of what it means to create, to publish, and to share. And think about the kind of help that you might need along the way. And this is important regardless of what path you take, whether you're traditionally published or hybrid published or indie published or whatever. These are the relationships that will open up opportunities for you in ways that you least expect. And they also become the foundation for your support system as a writer. All right, step number three is to be persistent and get used to rejection. I know this one's like really difficult. Um, In the past, I've written about successful authors who found their literary agent only after a long search. One of those cases was when I interviewed Janae Marks. Today, she is a New York Times bestselling author. Back when I interviewed her, she told me that she had to query more than 70 agents before she got one. I always want to slow down and really imagine this that you want an agent and you create your list of your top 10 agents to query. And you do that and they all say no or they ignore you. Then you do 10 more. They say no or ignore you. Then 10 more. They say no and they ignore you. And you keep doing this again and again and again. It would be reasonable for you to assume that once you've done this 35 times to make the conclusion Why am I wasting my time? The world is giving me a very clear message to stop. They don't want to publish this. What I find fascinating, though, is that 35 rejections is only the halfway mark to success, to getting that agent. For Janae, thank goodness she kept querying, because her writing is making thousands upon thousands of readers happy. For Meatloaf's album... Every single record label was presented this album, and every one of them rejected it at least once. Sometimes they rejected it in an offensive manner. There's a really well-known story about one of the biggest record industry hitmakers of all time telling Jim Steinman and Meatloaf that they don't even understand how to write music. This is an album that they tried to get made for years, and people kept rejecting them. How did it finally get made and finally get released? Well, it was because of only two people, two human beings. One, as I said, was Todd Rundgren, who heard it and was laughing when he was listening to it and said, yeah, let's let's just make this. So he was going to pay for it. He was going to try to get it released as well. He had like a side deal with a record label. But even though he tried, he couldn't get it released. So they took this finished album, not a concept, not someone playing songs, you know, like a finished album, the album that would go on to sell tens of millions of copies. And people still rejected it. Then one day, they met with record executive Steve Popovich. Halfway through hearing only one song, 
he decided to publish it. He decided to release it. Which is just mind-blowing, that idea of it's not that Steve had a long relationship with them, it's not that he heard the album and imagined it, or one song, he just heard one part of one song, and it seems almost like on a whim, he made it happen. If you are struggling with your creative work, remember that it only takes one person to change your life. Only one person who needs to get behind your work to make that difference. All right, step number four is don't compromise in order to fit in. Every record label and producer who this album was presented to wanted to change it. So even as they were rejecting it, they're saying, look, why don't you change it to this? Why don't you do that? And to their credit, Jim and Meat didn't even consider changing it. Once the album was released, it did not fit into the marketplace. The songs were incredibly long. Of the three big singles that came out of it, you've got to remember, this is the era of the three-minute pop song. And radio really mattered. This was before MTV, before the internet, all that stuff. It was radio. The songs that became hits were, on the album cuts, five minutes, eight minutes, and nine minutes each. Even edited down for radio, they were at the five-minute mark, which is a lot longer than what most stations will play. Even with its its success over the long term, the album, nor the singles, never cracked the top 10. So if you think about short-term metrics, the album didn't really make it. But it sold, and it kept selling for years and years and years. This album did not fit into the marketplace, yet somehow it worked. Now for writers, I think there are countless examples of this. And it's totally fine if you want your work to fit in. But if it doesn't, don't worry about it. All right, step number five is to give people something to talk about. So if you look up, you know, reviews of this album or what people say about it, there's all kinds of words and phrases you hear, uh, like cheesy, theatrical, over the top, guilty pleasure, that sort of thing. And I think it's neat that this album succeeded because of these things, not despite them. Meatloaf as a performer didn't fit into norms at the time. The music was theatrical, and Meatloaf's performance took that to an entirely new level. He had a lot of experience as an actor. If you watch his performance from 1978, performing this album live... The parts where he isn't singing are just as engaging as the parts where he is. He is completely embodying the characters that are in these songs. You can go on YouTube right now and watch the full hour and 45 minute video of one of those concerts. And it's just fascinating to see. When it was first released in October of 1977, the album didn't do well. It didn't take off until the following March of 1978, when Meatloaf performed on Saturday Night Live. I think that most creators want their creative work to stand on its own, and I really understand that. But sometimes it needs help to get noticed. And as Meatloaf did with the performance, you have to give people something to talk about. Step number six, bring your creative work to the people. Producer Todd Rundgren has said that the surefire way to sell records is to play live shows at towns again and again and again. 
And this has been a standard part of how the music industry works for decades. You and your band get in a van, you play a very small show to 10 or 20 people, you keep touring, then a few months later you return to that same town. Now you're playing not to 10 or 20 people, you're playing to 40 to 50 people. You keep repeating this again and again and again. Now for a writer who does not want to get in a van, which I don't blame you, you have more opportunities than ever to bring your writing to the people. We have Substack newsletters, Instagram reels, online webinars, in-person events, conversation series, collaborations, and so much more. Do you have to do any of these? No. But I find that when you share your work regularly, connecting with real people along the way, that this can create wonderful moments that build awareness of your writing. It is an opportunity that you can pursue or ignore. This story of this album, this band, to me is a powerful reminder to follow your own path and to remember that if success isn't happening for you at the moment, that it doesn't mean you're failing. Just keep going. As always, you can give me feedback or ideas to dan at wegrowmedia.com. You can find me and my blog, my weekly newsletter, all of that at wegrowmedia.com or over on Substack, danblank.substack.com. Over on social media, I'm at danblank. Thank you so much for listening until the end.